Hi, my name is Josh Schlingle, and in this time I want to take, talk about some very practical things that we can do to finish the Great Commission amongst Muslims. We've heard about the problems that exist in Islam and the lack of the church's response to the finishing of the Great Commission amongst Muslims, but what are the practical things that we can do? I'm greatly concerned, as you know, with finishing the Great Commission amongst Muslims, but the principles that I'll discuss here can be applied to the Great Commission in general. I want to go through some practical steps that we can take on three different levels in order to know that we're doing our best to complete the Great Commission. Now please know that I understand that the completion of the Great Commission is ultimately on God's timing and by his power. Every tribe, tongue, and nation will hear the gospel of Jesus Christ according to God's sovereign plan. But I also know that God has a plan A in using the church in completing to do that and there's no plan B. Robert Coleman, in his, uh, his book, Master Plan of Evangelism, in the course in Mission Muslim World University, says, quote, Jesus' evangelistic strategy, indeed, the fulfillment of his very purpose in coming to the world, dying on the cross, and rising from the grave, depended on the faithfulness of his chosen disciples to this task. It did not matter how small the group was to start with, so long as they reproduced and they taught their disciples to reproduce. This was the way his church was to win, through the dedicated lives of those who knew the Savior so well that his Holy Spirit and method constrained them to tell others. As simple as it may seem, this was the way the gospel would conquer. He had no other way. Amen. What I will first discuss is what we must do on a personal level to complete the Great Commission. Secondly, what we must do as a believing community in local churches. And thirdly, what we must do as the corporate global church. So, personal, Great Commission principles, then local church, and finally, the global church. Each of us as individuals holds specific responsibilities to ensure that we are playing our individual role in the Great Commission. So we start from uh, number one, personal discipleship. You cannot make a disciple unless you are a disciple. And that means that before we can try to make disciples of the nations, we must know that we are discipled first. We must love God with our whole heart, soul, and mind. We learn about what it means to be a disciple through God's word, the Bible, and through Christ's example in the New Testament. Uh, the Apostle Paul talked about how that he says, by this time I, I, I come back to you and you should be eating meat, but you're still drinking milk, feeding on the elementary principles of the, of the gospel. Let us go on to maturity as God may allow. And that was what scholars say was three to five year period from when Paul had gone away and when he had come back. And which tells me that by the time of three to five years, if you've been a Christian, we ought to be mature. So there's a time scale for us. So study your theology, study your Bible. We must love God with our whole hearts and our soul and mind. We need to learn what it means to be a disciple through God's word. If you haven't read the Bible straight through yourself yet, go from Genesis all the way to Revelation. Just begin reading and read through it. If you read four chapters a day, you'll finish it in nine and a half months and read that every year. Uh, and then learn how to tell the story of the gospel from Genesis to Revelation and start trying to do that with your friends around you. Do what it takes to internalize God's word and truth in your heart. Try and tell those stories in the Bible to other people so they understand them 
and, uh, and you can share your faith with them. Once you've done that, you'll begin to gain an understanding of what it truly means to follow Christ. What does it take to be a disciple? Our primary text for discipleship in the New Testament is Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount. And it's there that we learn actually what it means to be a disciple. And so talking with friends about the Sermon on the Mount is uh, what helps me in my life, in my discipleship, and will help you in your life in following Christ in those areas. Well, also discipleship, Jesus talked about, he said, pick up your own cross and follow me. And it definitely means suffering. And American pastor John Piper shared this powerful story, and I want to share it with you. He said, quote, Obedience in missions and social justice has always been costly and always will be. In the village of Miango, Nigeria, there's a missionary guest house in a small church called Kirk Chapel. Behind uh, the chapel is a small cemetery with 56 graves. 33 of them hold the bodies of missionary children. The stones read, Ethel Arnold, September 1st, 1928 to September 2nd, 1928. Barbara J. Swanson, 1946 to 1952. Eileen Lewis Whittemore, May 6, 1952 to July 1955. This was the cost of taking the gospel to Nigeria for many families. Charles White told this story about visiting this little graveyard and ended with a tremendously powerful sentence. He said, the only way we can understand the graveyard at Miango is to remember that God also buried his son on the mission field. And when he raised him from the dead, he called the church to follow him into the same dangerous field called all the world. But are we willing to follow? If the answer is no, then you may not be a disciple. So step one is to become a disciple first, and then you can make one. And I myself have experienced many of these kinds of things as I've gone into radical mosques around the world. As I've been involved in training in Asia, Africa, and South America, I visited that graveyard. As you can see, some of the pictures of Miango, where we visited that graveyard and, and, and took time to pray and to think about their lives and what it costed the missionaries there to reach the Nigerian church to this day. I've been held <laughs> while uh, at gunpoint while training missionaries in different countries. We, men come in with rifles and knives and put us to the ground. They tie up the women. They tie up the men, and you're wondering, what's going to happen if they uh, begin to touch the women or something like that? Am I going to take a bullet? It's the sacrifices that are taken, and there's intimidation that can happen, but that is part of what it means to going forth in bringing the gospel into some of these dark areas. It's going to cost us our lives. It's going to cost us to reach them. Number two is prayer. We'll not have God's heart and passion for the lost if we do not spend time with him. Sure, we can know about the needs of the nations and that we should help, but it only, it's only through spending time with the living God that you become consumed with his passions and his desires. You become like those people that you spend most of your time with. If you want to be more like God, you need to rejoice over the things he rejoices over and have joy and weep for those things that grieve his spirit. Then you need to pray. Spend as much time in prayer as you can. In fasting and prayer, have committed times of, of praying and so on that you commit to in your own devotional life. Number three is personal evangelism. 
Each one of us has a role in the Great Commission. It's not just reserved for a few. Once we're discipled here and have discovered God's heart for the lost through prayer, then we are ready, we need to go. We must roll up our sleeves and get into the ripe harvest fields. Jesus said the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Pray to the Lord of the harvest. They might send workers into that field. Will you be an answer to that prayer? There are many, th- uh, many amongst the least reached people in the world who would come to Christ if they only heard the gospel through you and see it lived out in our lives. For years, we've made a discipline of going out and taking 50 to 100 or so people out to do evangelism. Wherever we are, we'd take two or three or, and go into the cities where we were, and we'd reach out to Muslims in those areas. And so make a discipline of targeting those areas and spending time there, sometimes going to the markets, sometimes showing up at the halal shops, sometimes going to the restaurants, sometimes going into 20 or 30 mosques that we would target around the areas where we lived. And so spend time going to reach out to them and be a witness to them. The Apostle Paul asks a series of powerful questions. In Romans 10:14, we read, "'How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed?' And how will they believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? You want to help the finish the Great Commission? Run into the harvest fields and never leave. Spend time evangelizing the lost and the hurting. Number four, understand your vocation. A person's Christianity doesn't begin at church. It's to permeate one's entire life. As Christians will not help Uh, finish the Great Commission if we compartmentalize our existence. This is my family life, and this is my work life, and this is my church life. Christianity must be integrated into every area of our life, into our existence. We're not separable parts, including our work. You see, the primary vocation of every Christian is actually the same. The primary vocation of every Christian is to complete the Great Commission with their lives. That's what we're doing here. To love God, to love each other, and to finish the Great Commission. If you lose your job, or you get hired or fired, or you retire, your vocation remains the same. If you are a missionary and then get sick and come home, your vocation is still the same. We do not start serving God at a certain time and end at another time. We serve God through every moment of our life. So we shift around what we need to do in our jobs in order to fulfill the Great Commission that we are rewarded when we, get to, uh, when we die, when we're with uh, God in heaven. He rewards us for what we did in this life, directly connected to what we did in making disciples and finishing the Great Commission. That's what you get rewarded for. With that said, God can use our careers or our skills in very creative ways for the kingdom. Technology and business are being used to further missions at a strategic and fast rate. One head of a Christian organization believes that God is advancing technology for the sole purpose of the Great Commission. And we can see this practically. The internet has become an evangelistic tool. People share the gospel with Muslims through chat rooms. Also, people in religiously persecuted areas are able to download MP3s uh, to listen to sermons online which they otherwise would not have access to. There are creative and innovative ways to get involved in the Great Commission. Perhaps God can use your unique gifts, your unique talents, advance his kingdom through that. Uh, 
you can, you can contact us and we'll work with you in order to help inspire those people in your nations to help structure things and to help serve you. You see, there's no one else like you in the world. Your combination of God-given skills and experiences are totally your own. God has been unique with you. So understand that there is a spe specific and special task for you to accomplish. You're very valuable to God. And you are very valuable to the advancement of his kingdom. You see, we need to start thinking strategically about our lives. Ask the Holy Spirit to reveal that unique vocation that he has planned for you. Submit to his will. And again, after three to five years, you should understand the gospel and you should already get that. You should be involved in making disciples and be involved in the Great Commission. That's what life is about. That's how the early church of 12 reached the whole world. Number five is kingdom investments. We have to get out of a tithing mentality and into a kingdom mentality. Uh, let me explain what I mean. That most of us, of course, tithe uh, or know what tithing is, and it's giving a certain 10% of our material possessions, and that's good. But many Christians think that it's limited to that in our giving, and that's not right. Perhaps we need to give only a certain percentage and then the rest is ours, and we get to keep it and hoard it. In the West, it's created materialists out of lots of people, even throughout the church. And it's, it's, it has devastated the Great Commission because people are holding on to it. If you hold on to it, it'll get taken away. And that's a tithing mentality. But that's not God's mentality for us. Everything that we have is the Lord's. He gives and he takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. All that we own he may require of us at one time, like the rich young ruler. But his promise to provide and meet our needs, the Bible says, with food and with clothing, that be content. Therefore, if you have food and you have clothing, you are prosperous. We must not hold on to what we own. Whether we have a, a mansion on a hill or a hut by the river, it all belongs to God. It all belongs to the kingdom. We have to quickly sell and get we have some $380 billion in church buildings just in the United States alone. And we can resource the global mission, but we have to transform our structures to make them more useful. Very similar to how in the New Testament church they would sell the houses and things they had and bring it before the church to meet the needs of the poor, to meet the needs of the mission, and to see that mission accomplished. The money that is in the church for missions is not the money that's in the bank account of the churches. The money that is in the church for missions is the money that is in every Christian's bank account on the planet. It's all of our resources is used, and we have to be led by the Spirit and have a, a cheerful heart to give to what we sense the Holy Spirit is calling us to give to. How are we supposed to finish the Great Commission if the church doesn't participate and doesn't give with our finances? We need to get involved. Though there's no New, De New Testament passage that tells us exactly what the amount uh, is to give, but it does tell us how we should give. In 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 6 through 8, it says, Now this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must do just as purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for the, for the Lord loves a cheerful giver. So be cheerful in giving and give bountifully to the people who are in need, especially those who are trying to be faithful to what God has told them to do in finishing the mission. 
The question we must ask ourselves is that since I'm a steward of what already belongs to the Lord, all the resources we have, how does he want me to use it to expand his kingdom? We know he doesn't want us to just build bigger barns. That is not what the money is for. When you receive monies, the money is for sowing into the Great Commission to make, uh, make sure that the church is resource for what needs to happen. For many of us, that may be, mean giving more than 10%. It may mean that you need to live on one income and not two. It may mean, again, that none of our wealth or material possessions are actually ours. We are not hoarding here. We are actually supposed to be giving and be uh, generous, be named as generous people as we walk into heaven. That we would be generous people to the people that are around us and that they would see our love through, uh, through, through our love and our lives and through our giving. He's merely asking, God, God is merely asking you to give back to him what is already his. We, and so we need to get out of this, uh, this tithing mentality and into a kingdom mentality and realize that everything that is in our church, the people that are, that are next to us, just, just knock the person next to you, elbow them and say, we're, we're, the, everything that you have is the Lord's. Everything you have is the Lord's. Say that. Okay. So we need to learn to live a simple life, a simple life. Live on one income get out of debt, do everything you possibly can to get involved in the Great Commission. This will take self-sacrifice and the joy of investing in the mission of God throughout the world. Be generous with what you have and spending it on what God has asked us to do. Next, I want to talk to you about what we need to do as, in the Great Commission as a community and local church. The church needs to become a center for training, Many cannot afford to travel to another city and attend seminary for two years. And yet all of us are called to love the Lord our God with all our hearts, souls, and minds. The best way to facilitate for individuals becoming good kingdom disciples is to provide adequate training for them. Many have a vision for bringing uh, training to the churches, and that's what our ministry does. The fact is that historically, the church was the center for theological training. However, the church no longer takes up that responsibility, and so the task has been shifted to Christian seminaries and universities. But it's not just a select elite who needs to be good, trained disciples. All of us should be. So I recommend that the church and, and the house churches seek to once again become centers of missionary and evangelistic training. Don't send your people back out to the seminaries, bring them into the church, and train them in the context of your relationship as they serve in the church and prepare for missions abroad. The local church must prioritize sending missionaries to the least reached people in the world. We must evaluate whether the local church is being effective in its mission to the least reached people. Imagine if every church in the world was faithful to send to the Muslim world. There's 300,000 churches in Brazil. What if they all sent one missionary to the Muslim world? Uh, we'd, see a res we'd see a resurgence of the church, and we'd see the church expand. There's 1.6 billion Muslims and growing. Again, Robert Coleman writes in his Master Plan of Evangelism, merely because we're skilled doing something does not necessarily mean that we're getting anything accomplished. The question must always be asked, is it worth doing, and does it get the job done? This is a question that should be posed continually in relation to the evangelistic activities of the church. Are our efforts to keep things going 
fulfilling the great commission of Christ do we see an ever-expanding company of dedicated people reaching the world with the gospel as a result of our ministry? That's the test. And these are fantastic questions to ask. You can put the name of your church there. Is our church seeing an ever-expanding company of dedicated disciples reaching the, the world with the gospel as a result of our ministry? In essence, is your church ascending church to the least reached people in the world? Number three is the local church must prioritize sending more people to the least reached pl uh, places of the world. Basically, in order to complete the Great Commission, we must send more of us to the mission field. For every 10 of us, perhaps we should send one. Or maybe for every one of us in some countries, perhaps we should send 10. Uh, in places uh, around the world, it's, it's far more inexpensive to send national believers from, uh, from China or Nigeria, different places like that, than it is to send the Americans. So as people are getting uh, callings from the Lord, we need to invest in Asia, in Africa, in South America, the disciples who are faithful and are willing to go. The local church has more resources than ever before to send people. Uh, just look at the example of the Moravians. Uh, even in that post-Reformation period, uh, those Christians, they were persecuted because of their views they found, the refuge on the estate of Count Zinzendorf. After what they described as a Holy Spirit revival in their settlements, they began to send hundreds of missionaries to the Caribbean, North and South America, the Arctic, Africa, and East, uh, the Far East. The Moravian missionaries were the first large-scale Protestant missionary movement. I've heard estimates that something like for every 10 Moravians, they sent out one to the mission field. In fact, the Moravians were so zealous for the Great Commission that some of them actually sold themselves into slavery. Can you imagine? They became slaves because that was the only way they could secure a ship ride to those countries they sought to evangelize. When I, I think about Christianity South, I think about my father-in-law. I think about uh, how even in Brazil, they mobilized at a, at, a, at a young age. And he and his wife, they felt called to go to the mission field. And without resources, uh, maybe $50 from their local church, they decided to go anyway. And they did. They sold everything they had. They, they mobilized. They went. And when they got there with my wife and his sister, her sister and and the mom and dad all sat around in the nation they were called to. They grabbed hands and said, this is all God has showed us so far. And so out of these countries, these missionaries, uh, missionaries are mobilizing with just a word from the Lord to go. And like the Moravian missions, we need to participate so we can see what God is doing in the world, and we need to go ourselves when he calls us. Even if all the resources aren't there, sometimes you just need to go with what you know, and to participate, and to sit around, grab hands, lock hands, and say, I know God has taken us this far. Thankfully, most of us do not have to sell ourselves into slavery to do missions. We have many opportunities before us to freely become involved, but I love the Moravian zeal. One thing we can learn from this, group, this group's dedication is that as the local church, we must shift our, our thinking from sending just a few. For the, perhaps the, the question should not be, are you called to go, but rather, are you called to stay? 
Number four, we need to prioritize missions as part of our budget, uh, not just to sustain the church that's around us. It's important to have a place and certainly to, to meet and to support the local church. But we need to prioritize uh, the mission's budget. Normally around the world, only 1% of the church's mission's budget on average is targeting Muslims. Uh, it seems counterintuitive to me that the church spends only 1% of the mission's budget on the least reached people in the whole world. The 1.6 billion Muslims, 20% of the global popula population, 40% of all unreached people in the world are the Muslims. Shouldn't we, as local church bodies, be spending the most on the greatest need, especially if the Great Commission is the primary task of God for the church? I think just uh, like our personal finances, the church budget reveals the priority of the church. I understand that there are important administrative costs, but again, if we're to pie out God's heart, the, the least reached groups, the biggest groups, we need to focus on. I know that God will ask us to give an account for how we spend his resources in the Great Commission. And I hope that for all of us, there's more than 1% on the least reached group. Finally, I want to offer my recommendation for how to finish the Great Commission amongst the global church. We need to unite to finish the Great Commission amongst Muslims. The global church has to turn its focus towards them. Currently, there's only one missionary for every 420,000 Muslims in the world. The missionaries who are sent are largely untrained, and they've been reported conversions to Islam on the field. And comparably, Muslims are mobilizing in a concerted effort to evangelize the world with Muslim governments supporting them, spreading, using oil money, billions of dollars to resource Muslim training schools, Muslim evangelists, Muslim evangelistic resources, video projects. They're, they're financing tons of things in order to convert us. But we do have hope. There are missionaries from all over the world who have been mobilized to complete the Great Commission amongst Muslims, but we need more. We need more workers in the harvest field. We also need to mobilize educated and experienced Christian missionary trainers from all over the world, creating uh, church-based training structures in global regional centers or national regional, regional centers in every church. Perhaps your church can be a national resource regioning, uh, regional training center for resourcing the churches in your nations. Contact I-squared ministries. We can provide the training and the partnerships with you to resource tens of thousands of churches within your own country. We need to support those who are from different nations and those in our own. But we need to combine these together to complete the Great Commission together. Thank you so much for listening to my course and to my classes. It's been an honor to be here with you, and uh, I look forward to meeting you in person around the nations and in the world in uh, different conferences. Thank you very much. God bless you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your mission that you've given to the church. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you would Confirm in our hearts, Holy Spirit, what you've taught us. We ask that each one of us might know what our role is in the finishing of the Great Commission, what our church's role is in finishing the Great Commission, what we are to do in uniting as the global church to target the unreached Muslims, Buddhists, and Hindus throughout the world, Father. We pray for the Muslim world and ask, Holy Spirit, you draw so many into your kingdom through the evangelists that will be mobilized, trained, and resourced through these ministries. And we pray this Holy Spirit, move in our hearts to unite, to work together. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.